Hello All Beer Inside listeners, we here at All Beer Inside understand that not everyone has the time to watch a YouTube video, so we've decided to present a second weekly episode of one of our previous interviews in the audio-only format here for your ear holes. This is the audio from episode 28 of our YouTube show, which was originally released on June 5th, 2020. You could subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, the brand new TrendingTopicsNetwork.com, and most other listing avenues for this podcast. We also kindly ask that you rate, review, subscribe, and leave comments to wherever you are getting this wonderful sound. Please enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to All Beer Inside Quarantine Episodes. This episode, Noah also known as Beerism.ca, is joining me for the conversation. Hello. Hi, thanks for uh, joining us today here on the show. Uh, So we usually have a beer together on the show. It's usually different beers, but we're actually having the same beer this time, from what I understand. We are. So uh, my lighting's not great. There we go. It's not great either. It's hard to hear prison. Four Origins, uh, they were interview number 13 on the show, from what I recall. That's true. Um, you uh, you were with them. Eh? Yeah, I spoke with Keegan, um, and then eventually I spoke with Mike as well at the QV, uh, which is a fun festival in Quebec, which we also did media with. So, nice. uh, as I say on the show, we do it virtually. A toast. Toast. Yeah, I've got my favorite local beer shop glassware here. I'm a big fan of Pat at Multi Hops. Mm-hmm. I got my Four Origins going. It's buried somewhere. I have thousands of beer glasses. Yeah, I have too many as well. It's an addiction. Yep. So uh, I know it's on the website, but for those who aren't aware, those who are new viewers, uh, what brought you to create the Beerism.ca brand? Well, I've been doing this for a while, so it's been uh, almost a decade, eight or nine years at this point. It kind of started... I started, I mean, I've, I've been a beer fan my whole life, but I think like most of us, we, uh, we, uh, before the craft beer boom, we all drank what we drank, which is just domestic, whatever imports, it's all the same. But then I started getting an interest in, in, in different types of imports that you could get out of Ontario that you can't get in Quebec, like English ales and stuff like that. And my father-in-law actually kind of got me into that. So I started collecting those and trying different ones and, uh, and getting into it. And then I started to appreciate the Quebec scene a bit. I had a bit of trouble at the beginning, I think, because it was very Belgian-centric. For some people, it's harder to get into it. And, mm-hmm. you know, the phenolic thing, the really spicy profile, the high ABV, the sweetness, it becomes a bit more of an acquired taste, but one that once you get there, you fall in love with. So then I kind of went deep diving into the, the Quebec scene. And at the time, my partner was pregnant with my son. Uh, so I was going out less. I you know, just started developing more hobbies and and one of them just became beer. Uh, So from there, it it started off as like just little Facebook posts um, on my personal page. Like I'd take a picture of a beer on my cutting board and just do these awful tasting notes when I look back at them. I mean, at the time, I guess they were fine. Um, There wasn't much to compare it to because back then there were virtually no, there were very few bloggers and, um, you know, it was all beer advocates. I don't even, and rate beer a little bit, but yeah. mostly beer, mm-hmm. so that kind of thing. And then from there, someone suggested that I start uh, actually a blog. So I, because back then blogs were pretty popular, as now they're kind of phasing out with uh, social media and everything. Um, so I created beerism.ca. In terms of the name, uh, <laughs> I actually had to think about it on the fly because I was like, oh, I'll, I'll think of the name later. But then the first step in creating a website is 
you know, establishing <laughs> your domain. So it was actually my partner. She she came up with it on a, on a whim and uh, went from there. And I mean, it's .ca dot instead of .com because I'm not paying ten grand for beers and .com <laughs> now <laughs> or whatever they're trying to charge for it. Yeah, um, so it started. Yeah, exactly. So it started um, about eight eight or so years ago, and it's been steadily growing since. Um, seen a lot of people come and go over the years, and a lot's changed in those uh, in the last eight years. It seems like a lifetime ago, even though it's eight years. It's, yeah. it's not a huge amount of time. I mostly do kind of in-depth reviews, uh, or or even you know, they definitely are reviews, but they're also just kind of explaining my perception of the beer. I don't like being too harsh, but I also don't want to sugarcoat it. I like giving critical reviews, but always respectful. Um, that's kind of my key thing. Or like, I, I want to point out what I don't like, but I want to do it in a way that one is clear that this is my opinion and it's not objectively bad. And mm -hmm. two, um, I'm not an expert. I'm not trained. I've just been doing it a long time and I enjoy it. Um, I've been doing less on the actual site these days and doing a bit more Instagram, Facebook pictures and stuff like that. One, because time and uh, a little bit of laziness, <laughs> because it's, it's hard to come up with a, you know, writing an article versus writing like a quick post is a very different thing, you know, um, writing an article means, you know, it's like writing a paper, like you're, you're coming up with instruction, you have to have a theme, you're, you're structuring it. Um, whereas in posts are a bit more straightforward and simple. And to be honest, uh, like my, my page views have been going down steadily because people aren't going to websites much anymore, mm -hmm. but it's not to say I'm dropping it or anything. I've just been doing less full articles and more day-to-day -day quick, uh, social media type reviews. And, uh, I've still concentrated a lot on the photography, obviously, because that's kind of my, become my thing a little bit, I think. Yeah, the photography is absolutely beautiful. I don't know how that setup is, like what kind of screening or, but uh, a lot of people I've heard steadily compliment your photography uh, for your beerism website. I really looked into that, to be perfectly honest. I think I've always had a little bit of an eye in the sense that you see a lot of people who just like pick up the phone and just snap, whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> so even back when I was just taking phone photography, I still like setting up the shot a bit and making sure that I was taking daylight photos outside and not just like in my basement on a Friday night because it's just going to look like trash no matter what. Because you can just do a lot with a, even just a cell phone and natural light outside. You can make a photo look decent. Um, so I think I always had that perspective a little bit because even if you go back in my blog from like six, seven, five, six years ago, you'll see like, like the photos aren't amazing, but they look okay. Um, and they went from that to honestly, a friend just suggesting get a photo box. They're not that expensive, which is basically just a white box and you have two lights on either side. Um, you set up a camera on a tripod and take a shot. And then I do a lot of post, uh, editing though. Uh, that's kind of what, what makes them really pop. Like I go in and I, I take the label and I, I pull it out and I go and I, I make the blacks blackers and the colors more vibrant and I get rid of every little blemish it's kind of become like a little obsession you know <laughs> almost like an OCD thing or I'm like clicking everywhere so I think that's why they end up popping a bit but I, I don't honest to be perfectly honest I don't know anything about photography like I'm not a I'm not a photographer okay I just have a little bit of an eye for it and I think I've just created this setup and that's why also you'll notice that I'm a one-trick pony right like 
if you look at what pouring, like we were talking about before the start of this, if you're looking at what pouring uh, perspective does, like she's clearly into photography, but like you don't see me on taking shots at breweries and stuff because honestly, I'm not a photographer. I, I might be able to take a decent shot, but I don't really know what I'm doing. Yeah, no, I'm far from uh, anything near professional photography. I picked up myself up one of those portable uh, photo booth things, like the small little cardboard ones with uh, two two LED strips, and I take pictures, and I'm like, yeah, no, this is terrible. <laughs> but I post it anyways because you, you need content, right? So Yeah, for sure. Um, my suggestion may be to get a bigger one because mine's actually like about three, four feet by three, four feet. And I find even that seems small at times because mm -hmm. um, I think they try and trick you into buying these tiny little boxes and then you stick a beer in there and you're like, well, I can see the sides of the box now. Like it's all, so it's a bit, but yeah, I've got a, a quite a large one. And I feel like that helped a lot. Yeah, uh, for sure. It's, it's very, very nice. And like mentioning the, the post or post production or, or photo editing, it definitely helps pop. And even just the article about the lag of beer, I had no idea that they were making like, basically in a sense a giant label across 12 yeah. cans and then you actually i found in the imaging just like popped out each can and then finally you like you see that that 12 can image which is very impressive it's very original for for a brewery to come up with and like you said it's they wanted to do one every month and and you yep. mentioned like i preferred this one more than this one and and this is my palette yeah, uh, exactly I, we speak about that all the time on our audio show is one guy detests ipas he hates bitter beers and loves stouts and one guy likes stouts but without the coffee i'm like well that limits you <laughs> <laughs> well these days especially. especially these days whereas i'll i'll pretty much try everything um i'm a big proponent of hazy ipas i like the bitterness i like the juiciness of them so right that's that's me right now but yesterday i was in a lager mood so i had three lagers and then a goza to end the evening so yeah, I mean, in terms of my preferences, I think like anyone, I'm, I, I I fall victim to whatever like the trends, like anybody else. Uh, I I I love juicy hazy IPAs. I I'm getting I'm digging the pastry stouts. I'm still I'm not on the fence with the smoothie thing, but I, it's anyway that's its own thing. Um, but I also I think, and I get to argue with my friends with a lot about this. I think I can also appreciate almost every style because it's almost i guess what what my pet peeve is is getting to the point where people are are on a beer or almost as if almost for the style and not for like the quality of the beer right like if, if they have this saison and it's not exciting enough because it's not incredibly sour it doesn't taste like a hill farmstead saison or something but i mean like it's a classic saison this is how it's supposed to taste it's still a solid beer and it's still enjoyable um, it's as if it's not the most exciting thing. So then it's no longer a thing of quality. And I feel like it's a dangerous slippery slope when we start going down that route, you know, like the only, cause if every brewery was Missorum, things would be pretty boring there too. Right. Yeah. I yeah. enjoy their stuff. I like them. I like the guys. I love what they're doing. We need, we actually needed a, a spot like that in Montreal. I think we were lacking it, but we don't want every brewery to be in that either. Right. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, variety is the spice of life, obviously. Uh, and even Troy had mentioned it uh, on my first episode with Troy. He's like, yeah, a guy had a wheat beer and he craps on it on, on untapped. And his, his whole thing is, oh, I don't like wheat beers. Then and don't crap on something that you don't like. If you don't like it, don't have it. 
<laughs> so yeah or have it and don't rate it you know yeah. like yeah i remember having conversations with that year about that years ago um so are you familiar, uh, familiar with Le Trois Mousquetaires? Yes, I am. So the, the old brewmaster there is Alex, and he uh, he worked there for like a decade. And then he left and he started Jean Libre. Mm-hmm. And so I remember when he was still at, at uh, Le Trois Mousquetaires, he had this series um, called uh, Bière Exceptionnelle. Oh, no. Barrel Exceptionnelle, or whatever it was. Um, but it was basically like he, when he order these new barrels, sometimes there would be one or two or a few that were particularly interesting or different, or he landed one or two barrels that were, that had a spirit in it that was, uh, where he could only land a couple of them. So he would do these really, really small batches with these really particular barrels. And uh, the first time he did it, I think he made one of the best beers ever made in Quebec, which was like this bourbon barrel that was 30, the barrel was like 30 or 40 years old. And it was incredible. Like I'd mm-hmm. never tasted anything like that. But anyway, all this to say, he his third or fourth version of this was um, a aged in uh, uh, Islay whiskey or Islay Islay whiskey, yeah, which is really peaty, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like, oh, I just can't, I can't wait for all the really terrible reviews on Untapped because people don't like smoked beers. But it's like it's so funny, right? Because like if you don't like smoke. Why are you bashing it? Like, don't drink it like you said, or don't rate it then. Just say, like, this isn't for me. But the, it's just that weird weird thing in the beard world where they have, we have to rate everything. Everything has to have a rating. I, I, I mean, I'm guilty for rating, but I'm, I'm always very fair. If I don't like the beer, if, it, if I don't enjoy it, then I'll give it a lower rating. I just won't crap on it. And then, yeah. I mean, uh, I can't remember who mentioned it, but Untapped has helped them, like, see, like, why is this beer always getting 0.25? And then they did a massive recall because they realized there was something wrong with the quality right. control. So that that also like as as beneficial, but at the same time as bad as Untapped is, uh, some of the brewers who pay attention to it realize, oh no, I made a mistake. Let's fix this. For sure. Uh, at least they admit to it. And and like you mentioned, smoke beers. I never even tried a Gratzer, and then it was I think it was Church Key. Uh, out of Ontario, they were at the Mondial, which we'll mention later about your thoughts on the Mondial. Um, sure. I tried them like it's like drinking drinking a delicious campfire, <laughs> and it was one of my first smoked beers. I'm like, I need more of these. But then the next one I had from another place, I'm like, oh, it's not as good. So did I get lucky with that first one, and it's the best one? And then you know, it's a sliding scale. But I will give beer to me is like Pokemon. I, I got to try them all. Yeah. So. Um, smoke beers are interesting because I, I I wasn't a huge fan on them either. But there are are there are so many different ways that you can make them, and there's so many different types of wood that you can use to smoke the beers that it drastically changes what the beer tastes like, uh, coupled with whatever that style is, right? Like a Gratzer, um, it is doesn't taste anything like a Roche beer. Like a Roche beer tastes like a a, a bacon sweet bacon thing and i don't i don't really like them i i can't say that i've had many so there could be higher quality ones or really amazing ones out there that i might like but i've had a few greatsers harry canna did a whole line like francis richet who's the head brewer there he really digs smoke beers and he did three of them aged in three different barrels one of them contained seaweed which was such a weird combination and they were all fantastic, and I liked them a lot. And then again, going back to the the Islay thing, the, the the PD whiskey, that adds such an interesting component to a beer in a very different way than a Rausch beer or a Grazer, like you're saying. So 
I think it's possible to dislike some smoked beers and then like others dependent on like where how how that smoke's getting infused what kind of wood because the wood in a Gretzer I think is a different type of wood than you'd use to smoke like a Rausch beer or whatever and I've only recently learned this and and it helped me kind of like okay so like smoky and sour can be pretty good if it's kind of like this but I don't like if it's like that so yeah to your point try them all because uh, if you think you don't like it maybe you will in the next one uh for the website where did that inspiration and style come from you know the the, the site itself is is a template that i that i chose I, I i like the idea of it being kind of clean and um just showcasing the photos more than anything honestly i'd like to do a complete overhaul i just haven't found the time um like because i've had that same template for six years now it needs a, it needs a complete overhaul but and, and again in terms of the the visual component you know I, I i i'm a bit of a one-trick pony with the black background i i i kind of i like consistency i think maybe at a subconscious level or something like i i like the idea of it always kind of looking the same with a subtle difference or whatever um and i think it's kind of helped me because if someone sees one of my photos they they t- tend to know it's mine you know and a lot of breweries really like my photos, so they'll share them too. And then like it kind of it kind of creates my brand in a way without having to actually do anything. And in terms of writing, I guess like t- again, talking about the early days of, of when I first started, it was all beer advocate ratings. And I remember just like every time I went to the grocery store, picked up a new beer, I would be on beer advocate looking at the rating or what it got or what people were saying about it. And I think it kind of started as that, you know separating the the review into the the appearance the nose the palate and the the mouthfeel or whatever and then breaking that down in more of a you know writing in more of a form of a paragraph than like point form or whatever and that kind of became the basis of of the blog posts you know having you know having something to say uh sometimes i'd have to search for something to say because i would receive a package or i would just go out and buy like a, a set of beers that had a certain theme and then just talk about that brewery or that beer style or that thing that i was doing maybe maybe i'm doing a vertical of a various different vintages of the same beer or maybe just different versions of the same beer like a horizontal type thing uh, and then just talking about that process. Sometimes I would host little events and do, uh, and then write about those. Um, I tend to write them in the form of an essay and then break down each beer individually. And I imagine for some readers, it can be a bit laborious. Like if you were talking before about looking at my top 13 or whatever, I mean, that's a huge article. I'd like, I hope people just take that article and read what they want and leave the rest. Like, I don't want people to have to like sit there and like, all right, here he goes again. Another, <laughs> another one, another one. All right. I get it. Notes of this and whatever. So like, um, but yeah, I've always started with that kind of intro and, and just talking about something and then just moving on to those individual peers and like really breaking down like my tasting notes on that. Uh, your palate, where, where did you like, I find is it's pretty refined from what I'm reading. So where did that palette come from? Just time, really. Um, I, I realized quick that if you start writing things down, um, then then it, you'll end up training yourself. And I think it's like that with anything. Whether or not you wake up every morning and write down your dream from the night before, you start remembering your dreams more, right? Um, it's kind of. I feel like it's kind of the same thing with beer. If you're smelling and writing down what you're smelling and you're tasting and you write down what you're tasting you're gonna over time probably start picking things out more 
And it, it's a combination of that and general interest. You're like, okay, well, I keep smelling clove or something or whatever that is, and then trying to understand what's causing that thing. So like, okay, well, all right, clove, clove, what's that? I do a bit of research. Oh, okay, those are fennels. You know, what kind of, what kind of beer styles have these aromatics? Right? Okay, more Belgian stuff or more, uh, you know, German wheat beers, stuff like that. Okay, well, what, and then just like going down that rabbit hole a little bit and then just understanding and then just drinking a lot and tasting a lot and finding that commonality, making that connection. And then from there, uh, you know, that coupled with whatever your personal preference is, right? If you like beers to be drier, if you like beers to be sweeter or whatever, and then like shaping, uh, shaping your palate around that. Uh, but yeah, I, I say definitely just if anyone wants to refine their palate, um, writing, writing down what you're tasting is key, even if it's just notes on your phone. Um, but I would suggest don't do it all the time. <laughs> Enjoy the beer some of the time because i have friends who, who i'm not on untapped i've never yeah. dived into untapped it's not i think it it started with i just never did and then um i just still haven't i don't have anything against untapped i don't have anything against rating even though i went on a little bit of rent before um i'm fine with it and it's helped me a lot over the years but i feel like if you obsessively have to go on there for every single beer that you drink then it kind of remo like removes the experience because i'm kind of like i think both extremes so either i'm sitting down like 20 minutes with this thing and like taking extensive notes and doing a photo and having to do fucking post editing too <laughs> or like nothing like i'm just sitting there i'm drinking the beer i'm not thinking about it you know so i think i think that balance is key for me because if i had to do that for every single beer i shoot myself I'm not so much as a describer, but I am very guilty of checking in a lot of my beers because I want to know, like, I want to recall what I enjoyed. And it's like, oh, For I sure. And that this, makes sense. Yeah. So I gave this style, like, or this specific beer a five, 4.75, 4.5. So uh, for my example, Old Tomorrow's Monkey's Age Ride Ale. It's one of my favorite beers I've ever had coming out of Ontario. And it's like got a caramel with a bit of ryeness to it. It's very nice. And so the first time I had one, I'm like, oh, man, I got to go back. But it's a seasonal. Oh, it's sold out. So then the next year, go back to the LCBO. Oh, we've only got 12. And now you have zero because I'm buying them all. <laughs> and then I'll sit there and drink them as many as I can. They're 6%. So they give it a nice little kick in the butt at the end of the night. But they're a fantastic beer. But that's that's my style. Whereas I have a friend who absolutely hated it. But he also doesn't like rye. So I'm like, okay, well, that makes sense to me then. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, like rye the the grain or rye in the 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 spirit. Uh, the spirit. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You get you get a bit of the it's it's aged in a rye barrels, so you get that caramelliness to it. It's very like I love the beer, but mm. some people don't. Uh, and it, it wasn't Untap, but Untap helped me remember that beer a year later. Like going like, oh yeah, that's the one I wanted, and then I grab a quick twelve pack. So. And a twelve pack of that at four fifty a can is not not a cheap day. <laughs> no, but it's still better than that's substantially cheaper than most IPAs these yeah, days, right? For sure, six ninety nine. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. I understand these guys have to make profit, but at the same time, they're they're keeping it realistically. For for a premium product, I feel that they're keeping it realistic most of the time. Yeah, I think so too. And maybe it's it's helping people drink a bit less, or <laughs> or it's making people more poor 
one or the other. Yeah, well, that was, I know that was a big thing when Benelux came to Verdun because Verdun was always a poorer neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, and somebody on welfare is not spending eight bucks on a pint. It's not happening. No, exactly. Um, I think, I think the good thing about bars, uh, so like, it seems insane that buying a can of beer could be six ninety nine plus tax plus deposit, but if you walk into a bar and pay that price for a pint, um, that uh, seems more than reasonable compared to like when uh, you know fifteen years ago when I spent too much time at places like Hurley's ordering eight or nine dollar pints of Guinness. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like the fact that you can get the, the quality and, and beer these days at less than that price then i, I think yeah, that, that's more than reasonable and like you said in verdun um you know it's been gentrified so much in the last decade but even uh you know the, those the pints that uh Benelux are still pretty reasonably priced yeah no and uh tico's a great guy i've met him a bunch of, like i met yeah, him a couple yeah, times tico. prior to the show and then we finally got to interview him and you know he's a super chill dude so uh i was there for the can release of the sold out as well it was it was a good day so you know i'm enjoying beers with the like that's why i love a, a lot of speaking to guys like yourselves and ladies like uh, ashley uh and anybody in the brewing industry like i love talking about the passion behind what this is yeah and my sure. passion is to kind of get your passion out there so that's what i enjoy do you uh, brew yourself at all no um want to one day but kind of as i was explaining before i kind of started all this right when i was about to have my first child so money's been tight you know we have bought a house with two cars like mortgage everything right yeah. so like um not i mean it's mostly a time thing i think than a money thing because like putting the time and effort into learning and trial and error and all the equipment and where to do it and I never, I never did, um, but I, I'd like to because it's, it's what I, what I should be doing, right? It's like, it's like being a food reviewer that doesn't cook, you know. It's a weird thing. It's a bit different, obviously, but sometimes it feels like that a bit. Um, I've been in a lot of breweries and I've done a few collaborations with okay. brewers, but um, I don't brew myself. What are those? Uh, what are the, some of those breweries you've collabed with? Um, my first one was a couple of summers ago with uh, Sutton. Do you know mm -hmm. Brewery Sutton? Yeah, I, I know the brewery. I don't, I they haven't been on the show yet there. So, but I know of them. I know of, of a majority of Quebec microbreweries. I think uh, Robin is the only one I wasn't aware of until I read your article. So. Oh, well, I'm yeah. glad that you're aware of them now because yeah. Robin is killing it. They're doing some amazing stuff right now. Um, I mean, I've only ever had one Oval beer because they're impossible to track down, I find. Yeah. Well, if we ever have a beer, I'll bring you some Oval. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so it, that the collaboration I did with Sutton was – I've known Pat for a few years. Pat's the, the co-owner and head brewer. And so I don't know if you know Sutton, but they do. He, he brews his beers, every single beer with Brett, right? So every one of his beers has wild. For those who don't know, Brett is short for Brett Tonomonices, and it is uh, a wild yeast strain. And most of the time you see that wild yeast strain in, in, in the more of like a secondary fermentation type mm -hmm. process where, you know, either whether you're talking something like Lambic or you're talking about um, a breaded Saison or something like that, usually it's, it's, uh, it's it's more of a secondary fermentation, which gives it like a horsier, you know, um, mustier, uh, 
just that 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 Brett Funk thing. Yep. Um, but he's kind of like this master with that yeast, and he brews all of his beers, and a lot of them are uh, primary, 100% Brett and primary fermentation Brett, which completely changes the way that the yeast uh, tastes. Ultimately, you it it it's still an aggressive yeast strain in the sense that it removes uh, so much of the sugar, and the beers tend to be drier. Um, but and and the but instead of imparting this like dusty funk it imparts more of just a gentle fruitiness and an overall drier profile um so i've i've been in love with what he does and, and before that he worked at uh, dunham he was mm -hmm. like under eloa dunham and, and them so he learned everything that he could from them because those guys are a bunch of geniuses um and so anyway all this to say it started with uh do you remember brute ipas <laughs> brute yeah yeah, it's, yeah. It's... so they were they were a thing uh, and then they're less of a thing now, but they're still a thing. Um, I enjoy so, them for what they are. Oh, I do too. Um, I, I like the idea. It, it's just, it, it's interesting how that whole thing came about because it was base. It, it was just kind of like, it really showcased how social media shapes things and how things spread so quickly now. So basically like this, this brewery in, in California created this new style and within weeks people were brewing it all over the world. Um, and for those who don't know, it, it, a Brut IPA is basically an IPA that's um, ultra clear, super easy drinking, insanely dry. And, and how they get it super dry is they throw in an enzyme that helps break down the sugars and lets the yeast really go to town on those sugars to the point where you end up with like a, like a literally zero or less than zero percent um, of, of, of sweetness or sugars left in the beer. Mm -hmm. So I'd read a couple of articles. People were just starting to talk about it. So I messaged Pat. I'm like, here, read this article because you know what you do with Brett is kind of similar to what they're doing with these IPAs. Because he brew he brews a bunch of he brews IPAs at, in Sutton, but he's Brett, and it and it it cuts down that sweetness. Um, he's like, oh, this is great. Come brew with me. I was like, all right, let's do it. <laughs> so we, me and a buddy who was a brewer, um, a friend of mine, asked him if he wanted to come. We went together and. It's an awesome night. We drank all night, then woke up and brewed all day, terribly hungover. And uh, ultimately, it was called Brett Never Sleeps. Um, <laughs> they often have it at uh, Multi Hops. Okay. Um, yeah, and the name kind of came from we were drinking, and he was telling that he's he's a really charismatic dude. So I highly recommend um, getting him on the podcast. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. Anyway, I, like he, he's he's a lot of fun. Sorry, my daughter just walked <laughs> into the room. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> um. So he, uh, so we called it Brett Never Sleeps. It was the first bottle they ever did in 750s. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not tuning my own horn because I did virtually nothing to brew the beer, but I loved it. It, it was just kind of perfection for me. It really like nailed what he does perfectly, um, which is uh, just creating something that's subtle, but really complex, super easy to drink. Like it, it was a 7% beer, but it drank like water. And it all and it had a sweetness to it, even though it literally had no, like literally had no sugar left in it. Yeah, almost like a zero Play-Doh in the end. What do you? Yeah, exactly. Okay, awesome. Yeah, no, I'll have to check that out. Um, so uh, yeah. these are obviously some of your favorite beers. What would be like your kind of um, uh, top three breweries that you generally go to? Let's say for for one hundred percent, I'm getting beer from here this weekend. That's a tough one. Um, I think number one. Is probably ZCL. Um, you know they're they're just so well rounded. They brew some of the best beers in the world. 
mean, Peche, Peche Martel is the same beer it was, I mean, besides minor tweaks, mm-hmm. like 15 or 20 years ago. I don't even know how old it is at this point. And it's still probably the best, stout, one of the best stouts in the country. Like, it's it's surpassed all the trends. You know, as much as I like these new pastry stouts, like Ball Canada stuff is killer, Peche still wins it, right? And Bourbon Peche is just on another level. But they also, it's a combination of things. Their price point is brilliant. They still do bottles and they still do four packs. And the four packs are like 10 bucks mm-hmm. or, 12, or 11 bucks or 12 bucks or whatever. Um, and they do simple beers perfectly. Like Saison Spach, which just came back this year, um, is one of my favorite beers of all time. Um, I, I It's basically the only brewery that I consistently buy beer from every every month like i'll go to my store and i'll buy whatever four pack that is and i also collect them because i like do i was mentioning this earlier but i like doing verticals and stuff um so uh like they they have a lot of high abv beers so things like a sekinicho or a gan or peche or whatever or a lot of the momentums that come out every month i'll go and i'll buy a four pack and i'll put it in the cellar and then after 10 years i do a 10-year vertical or whatever after five years i've done a few of those um they're a lot of fun but uh aside from that i mean it's so hard to to create a top three i mean dunham i think has earned a spot in that too just their ability to 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 wield uh, wild yeast and mixed fermentation like their barrel program is fantastic they one of the first in the province to really start nailing the whole barrel aged brett saison and that kind of thing and almost like created that genre in the province you know that mm-hmm. people like robin are now taking advantage of that of what they they kind of put forward to begin with you know like i i I enjoy the new trends of like what Masorum is doing. I'm a big fan of Buck Canada. I really love those guys. I do their photography, so I, I'm usually in well equipped with Buck Canada beers. Um, I've had a bit of Sir John and um, you know Wood Brothers. All the Wood Brothers is in Quebec, but they almost seem like they are Quebec because they're just right there. You know, um, so I enjoy the 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 new stuff too. I don't know who I'd give my third, but they're just there's so many. Right? Yeah, there's just so many. It's hard. Yeah. We are pretty lucky here in Quebec. So, yeah, for sure. Plus, we we have uh, so usually my next question is beer cation. So, for example, like we live in Quebec, we have Ontario to the left of us, Vermont to the south of us, Maine right. to the south right of us. Uh, what are, what are some of your beer cations that you've enjoyed? Unfortunately, not many, um, okay. or any really to be perfectly honest so okay. like i was saying before the real passion started when i started having kids and then you know when that becomes the priority um if i if i could my mm-hmm. dream would probably be to go to belgium i mean okay. lambic lambic is probably my most favorite thing to to enjoy and to be able to go to like that area of the world um would be spectacular yeah, I've always wanted to kind of hang out with the Trappist monk and have a few beers at a monastery. I thought I always thought that'd be entertaining. After yeah, you know, when 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 we can safely again, obviously. Um, yeah, for sure, and 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 that's actually a really good thing to bring up because I feel like the Trappist beers for many of us. I mean, I I saw some pictures of you back, you know, a while ago. So you're not brand new to beer, but I'm sure you remember at a time when 
Travis beers were like the hippest, coolest, most sought after thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, West Fletcher 12, you know, the most the rarest beer in the world that everyone wanted to get their hands off. Um, so like those beers really paved the way in a lot of ways to, to what we're at now. You know, they're not, people don't seem to like them at all anymore. Um, but I'm sure that'll just come full circle. I mean, sorry, I won't say people don't like them anymore, but they're not, they're not trendy anymore. People aren't getting excited over quads. That's yeah. Yeah. Me and my friends have discussed that. Like what, what do we think maybe the the future of beer is and and mine is uh, what's old is going to become new again. Yeah. exactly. So it's, it's cyclical. Eventually it's going to come back. We Uh, saw that with barley wines. I mean, uh, I was huge into barley wines years ago and then they kind of fell off. And uh, in the last couple of years, probably it largely in part to i don't know if you know the the blogger podcaster writer don't drink beer but he almost like brought it back with okay. his like whole thing like he kind of just started this movement called bil barley wine is life and it was it was all tongue in cheek and like total satire but then not and you don't know what what like what's what he's doing satire and what he's doing that's not and he kind of like I feel like he single-handedly almost brought back barley wine as being like a trendy thing again. It's kind of interesting. Because, I mean, barley wine is not the type that you're going to sit down and have like two, three pints. You're going to be uh, on the floor after after two, maybe pints of barley wine. You're talking a beer that's at least anywhere from 9% and above. It's Yeah, 9 to 15. Barley mm-hmm. wines are, to, to me, you know, that's a sipping beer. For sure. Yeah. I've uh, I personally still have one bottle of Hell's Gate from Kahnawake that I've been aging. So I, I've already yeah. told I've already told my friends. I'm like, when we get the all clear, this is what we're getting together and enjoying. Is have um, you um, experimented much with aging? Uh, no, uh, I just did with last a couple of months ago after I interviewed Tico. He passed me a 2018 and then a 2019 of the Armada or Grand Armada. And yeah, I, I totally get the different tastes of each one. Uh, yeah, that's a good one actually yeah. to sit on. I've uh, I've done that one a few times with some time on it. It's a fun exercise. It's one that uh, unfortunately is often not a positive experience <laughs> because I, I feel like half the time it fails. Um, but it, it is fun to see. I feel like you learn a lot from it. You know, when we were talking before about like how do you like how do you get your palate where you want it to be or, or whatever. And I feel like aging beer helps you understand that. Um, you definitely get that with IPAs just by the fact that you're like, Oh crap, I forgot this was in my fridge and now it's two months old and it's a shadow of what it once was, mm. or it's not even drinkable. Yeah. Um, so you see that oxidation in, in a, in a short period of time with something like an IPA, but it's also a lot of fun to see how the beer changes uh, when you're talking something that actually ages well and and with a couple of years on it um yeah yeah because i only recently started that so i was uh, at the lcbo in hawksbury a couple of weeks back because i was visiting family out in that that range and i picked up two bottles of Kentu- from nickelbrook two bottles of kentucky bastard two bo- two bottles of cafe and two bottles of their other one one i've, I've already slapped a label on it saying 20 2020 and now it's it's sitting sitting upright and then the one i'm gonna have this year is in the fridge for later on at another consumption date so i do want to eventually next year or the year after have year one year two year three to see how those age and 
with them having the thankfully the wax top i'm not too worried about uh, too much oxygen getting in to ruin the beer at that point so yeah um those those age well um the the coffee can often be uh, or adjuncts in general can can cause problems but that i've had that that particular beer with a few years on it and does well but it'll be fun to see how the the coffee changes right because when when coffee is fresh in a beer it it tastes very vibrant like you get the coffee and then over time it starts fading but then over more time it starts getting sometimes vegetal like earthy and weird Mm -hmm. like almost like green peppery a little bit if that makes sense so um and that's what i mean too about like oh i put i aged this for two years and and i'm getting this now i'm getting this now i don't like that or whatever but then you start you're like oh i do like that I think most beer is better fresh, to be perfectly honest, yes. if not all beer. Um, but I, I unfortunately still obsessively collect and, and have hundreds and hundreds of bottles in my cellar. It's, 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 it's bad. Yeah, I've, I've been <laughs> but, reading but, a lot online because the quarantine people are, are cracking open their cellars when they haven't wanted to. But it's just like, oh, my local brewery is not doing this right now and that. So uh, I'm going to open my 2015. Yeah, oh, okay. Well, now I got my 2016. So, yeah, and I mean, and 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 we should be because we're basically just leaving all these beers to die in our cellar a lot of the time. It, I think you, I wouldn't recommend my approach because it's kind of absurd, but uh, it's <laughs> it's it's fun to um, just see the the progression of a beer over time, and not to to pitch Jidsiel just so much, but the format of the size of those bottles and they have some kind of magic spell with beers that like they oxidize really slowly, even though they're in three, like beers oxidize quicker. And if they're in a smaller format and those are very small formats Two, they have twist tops, which aren't the best seal, but their beers age better than pretty much any beers I've ever had. So who knows? And um, at like 10 bucks for a four pack, you just go and buy their high BBV or beers every year throw one or two in the cellar and then after five years you can do like a five-year vertical and at that format size you can do it with like two or three friends and it's not like you have to dump a ton of beer because you do those with 750s you need like 20 friends and it's it's a lot more challenging yeah usually uh if it's a 750 uh i bought one of those little like plastic cork topper things yeah so if i am doing a tasting with friends uh, then they'll go on to whatever beers they're going to drink afterwards, and I'll just finish my aged beer or or whatever beer idea. I bought there. Yeah, like I even got the Glory and Gold, so I'm going to let those all age at least a year or two, and then and then I'll go from there with Nickelbrook. Uh, this is my first time experimenting, even though I've been drinking crafts for 12 years now because the Mondial that's where it started. And I read in one of your articles, I'm I'm even agreeing it. Um, Mondial going back to Windsor, I disagree with. I thought they could have made it bigger and better, kind of like your Great American Beer Fest. Right, but they're, exactly. They're regressing, so I, I don't get that. What are your kind of thoughts on, on that? I, I mean, I don't know a lot of the politics around Mondial or what they're doing, so I can't say firsthand that I know exactly what the situation is, but it does seem to me that they kind of screw over the brewers, which is why they lose more and more every year. I remember going... I feel like the probably the prime might have been like five six years ago, when you had like Hopfenstark Fair and Dunham there, and everybody almost that was 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 in Quebec, and now there's no one. You have 
like last time I went, it was like 90% contract. It was all Oshlag. It was basically everyone at Oshlag. And I think Four Origins was there. And I was talking to Mike. He's like, I don't think we're going to do this again. Like, yeah. I heard that they don't pay their, their people until like months and months. Sorry, like, because I think they pay their way in. And then Mondial pays them back based on how many tickets they sold mm-hmm. or whatever. And it could take like six months for them to see a dollar of it. So I think most brewers have just left. They're like, screw this. I don't need this. And it's too bad because it's in fucking Montreal. So you yeah. have people like Dunham who are like, screw this. I'm going to go to Boston or whatever and go there because, I don't know, maybe they're they're getting treated better. And it, we have this homegrown, one of the largest beer festivals in the world that can't even showcase local talent it's it's kind of sad to be perfectly honest yeah i've uh i've become a bigger bigger fan of laval recently even though it's kind of out of my way and i do not drink and drive it's right even though like a uh, funny story i've said it on the audio so i was uh, drinking in a friend's house i'd left my car there overnight and it was involved in a hit and run somebody dr- a drunk driver smashed my car wow. when i did the responsible thing so I joke around all the time. I'm like, that's it. I'm drinking and driving from now on. <laughs> uh, maybe you won't get an accident. Yeah, maybe exactly. So, but uh, I'm a big fan of the Valley, even though it's a little inconvenient living in Verdun, getting there, but. Yeah, I heard it was good. I haven't been. Yeah. Super fun. I've been all five years, but everything we're on a year delay. That's the way I look at it. And I'm sure it's going to come back bigger and better. Um, Chambly for me is too many people, but it's also like that focuses on Quebec. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I'm uh, unfortunately guilty of, of attending very few of these. Um, again, I don't leave the house much. I, I Without getting all into it, I work, uh, we were talking about it before, but I work downtown. I have a crazy commute every day. Um, so I get to see my kids like an hour or two every night. So the weekends I kind of dedicate to them. So that's why I don't make it out to events much. I'm sure that'll change in the next few years as they get older and stuff. For sure. um, or if, uh, I don't know, somehow one day I can work from home, then I, I'll need to escape on the weekends. So yeah, I've uh, somehow I've never actually been to Chambly, even though it's like the biggest, the oldest, and probably the most important beer festival. I've been to like Oktoberfest and Repontigny a couple of times. I've been, I think I went to Laval for the first one, mm-hmm. where it was like a joke. Like I remember it was in like a, it felt like a gymnasium. There was like eight booths and it was just locals like knowing nothing about the beers. I'm like, you want to try this? <laughs> um, but I know that's grown into a really impressive uh, festival at this point. Yeah, it's um, nice. It's outdoors. There's a kid's area. Um, you know, they got the bouncy castles and all that stuff. They have concerts with local Quebec artists. Uh, Rapontney as well. It was the first time I went this past year was the first time I'd went. So another thing like STM out there, it takes a while, but yeah, I have tough. fun. I, I enjoy myself. I take my time, but I also make sure I can get back to Montreal without having to spend a hundred dollars on a taxi. So, yeah, that's it. And I guess if you share that with like three of your pals, it's not so bad if you all live in the same region. Um, but yeah, if you're, if you're on your own, then that's tough. Yeah, for sure. Perfect. Uh, so let everybody know where they can find you, uh, Instagram, all the ads, uh, the website and all that stuff. Um, so, um, websites, beerism.ca, not.com, because I can't afford the .com. <laughs> um, Instagram is uh, also beerism.ca, at beerism.ca. 
and uh, Facebook, just search Beerism. That's me and Twitter. Ah, don't bother. Perfect. And I'm going to add all that in the show notes. So you just click on the link uh, on the show notes at the bottom of the end. Uh, I'm hoping to post the audio portion of this on the website. Um, that's cool. my own part. So I'm bad with that. Uh, as for us, allbeerinside.com. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't that expensive because nobody wants that name. Uh, we're at All Beer Inside everywhere. And as I say, when you're on allbeerinside.com, on the right-hand side of the page, there is an Amazon.ca link that helps me buy equipment for the show uh, for to make the production better and stuff. And Jeff Bezos has a lot of money already. Why not give some of his money to our show? It helps us out a lot, especially Amazon.ca shopping. Uh, you can find our frequently and frequent allbeerinside.com audio show on iTunes and uh, Stitcher, I believe. Uh, that should be getting fixed. And as I like to say at the end of every episode, drink craft, not crap. Cool. Thanks a lot, Noah. Really appreciate it. Have a good this. one. Take care. <laughs>